Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Progressive Field in Cleveland. Which one? Game one, it was the Kansas City Royals 7, the Cleveland Indians 2. Game two, it was the Kansas City Royals 4 and the Cleveland Indians 2. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And yes, I'm recording from my car again. Yes, things uh, still have not gotten back to normal, but they will. They will. And I appreciate everybody sticking with me. A lot of people have been listening through the weekend. I I was surprised. I thought once the Browns won a game, nobody was going to care about baseball anymore. It's I'm not going to lie to you. It's it's tough to continue podcasting about a team that's pretty much going nowhere this season. Is going to be lucky to finish 500 this season. It's it's kind of tough to keep to keep going. Uh, but we made a commitment. We're baseball fans. We're going to stick this thing out to the end because there's some players we want to see. I'll tell you that every time Bobby Bradley comes to the plate, I am locked into those at bats, and we were rewarded finally in the seventh inning of Game Two. Uh, for sticking in there and watching every Bobby Bradley at bat. So uh, let's get into the storylines of these games. And after the Indians put up 22 runs against the Yankees over the course of two days, and they take two out of three, and they get one game back close to 500, uh, they go ahead and lose two to the Kansas City Royals in one day. So a team that they've had so much success against, uh, normally they, uh, they come up short in both of these games. Uh, Singer in the first game, uh, kind of pitches a gem against us. Um, you know, he didn't do anything too spectacular. The seven strikeouts were impressive. Seven innings pitched, six hits, two earned runs, a walk and seven strikeouts for, uh, is it Brady Singer, right? Uh, for the Kansas City Royals, their former first round pick. Uh, who's not had a great season. I mean, 5-10 and 10 with a 4-7-2 ERA. Um, he only faced us one other time this season, and I don't think it went well for him. But he gets really picked up by his offense. I mean, they put up two in the second, third, one in the fourth, and then two more in the fifth, and uh, really leave no doubt in that first game. And it was all on the home run ball. Two-run home run from Hunter Dozier in the second inning. Benintendi gets a two-run homer in the third. Salvador Perez gets his record-setting home run in the fifth inning with two on. So two crooked number home runs doing in the Indians on this first game. That's right. Perez, I believe, now has the record for the most home runs by a primary catcher uh, in Major League Baseball history. And honestly, he could close in on a 50-home run season. And what's insane is that he could close in on a 50-home run season and maybe not win the MVP. I mean, with what Otani's doing, with what Vlad Guerrero Jr. is doing, um, Salvador Perez might actually end up being an afterthought in the MVP uh, discussion. So uh, for the Indians, it was Tristan McKenzie on the mound in game one, and this did not go well for him. And now his last time starting against Kansas City, it went very well. He, that was he went seven innings of one hit baseball. And I was looking at the illustrators to try to try to figure out what was different in this start for McKenzie versus his last start. In this start, he goes four and a third, nine hits, seven earned runs, a walk, and four strikeouts, three home runs allowed. Oof, that is rough. And uh, what was different here is he just could not seem to get them to swing and miss at his fastball. He's credited with two swings and misses on the day. Although when I look at the illustrator view, 
I only see one of them. So either one was in the exact same location as another pitch or, or it just didn't register on StatCast. Um, but yeah, only two whiffs on his fastball on the day. And frankly, when you look at and you look back on that last start against Kansas City where he went the seven innings of one hit ball, there were a ton of swing and miss on his fastball. And he was putting the fastball on the edges. This one, he seemed like he was getting the fastball up, but he wasn't getting it on the edges. And Kansas City was really locked in to his fastball. Two of the home runs came on high fastballs. Dozier's and Benintendi's came on high fastballs. Uh, Perez's came on a slider, which frankly, he was, you know, McKenzie was ahead in the count in that one. He was, if he throws that outside, if he gets that slider out of the strike zone, he might have a strikeout. Or if he goes with a curveball, he might have a strikeout. But he leaves a slider on a little too much of the plate, and Perez is way too locked in right now to miss that pitch. So that's how uh, they got him for the home runs. So, yeah, so that was a big difference, the swing and miss on the fastball. Now, I can tell you that the average velocity on this fastball was down about two miles per hour from that first start against Kansas City, which I think came in about the beginning of August. So that's a big difference. I mean, that is huge when you're talking about a 91-mile-per-hour average fastball versus that start against uh, – oh, no, I'm sorry. That, that start where he went was July 9th. Uh, where he goes the seven innings of uh, one hit ball. It was Jul- the beginning of July, or man, all the way back in June. Get- no, it was July. Sorry, I apologize. I apologize. I'm flipping between different pages here. It was the beginning of July where he goes seven innings, one hit, nine strikeouts in that performance. Probably one of his, and he gets a no decision. Unfortunately, uh, probably one of his best performances of the whole season. So there, his fastball hit 95 miles per hour. It uh, averaged 93 on the day. This last start, last night, he maxed around 93 miles per hour. He was averaging 91 miles per hour on the fastball. So do two miles per hour make a difference? I think so. I think they do, especially when a team like Kansas City is sitting on McKenzie's fastball. Now, his curveball was great. His curveball, he got, I believe, three strikeouts on the curveball, dropping him out the bottom of the zone. And that's fantastic. That's really encouraging because his curveball is can be such a weapon, especially when he's keeping it down there. So letting it bottom out of the zone. And they were just flailing at it. So that was good to see for McKenzie. But the fastball, is it the end of the season? Is it a guy who's just pitched a lot this year and the fastball velocity just isn't what it was? That start in uh, beginning of July was his first start back from the minors, remember? So, and it kind of started this run, the second half success that McKenzie has had. So, uh, yeah, I mean, McKenzie, it's a rough one for him. And it's a rough one for the Indians overall. They only score, uh, they score finally in the bottom of the fifth after already being down. Thanks to a Jose Ramirez, uh, two RBI single. Uh, He comes up with runners on second and third. And you just felt like uh, Jose Ramirez was not going to let that opportunity passing by to add two more RBIs on. And uh, so, yeah, he gets it uh, to a 7-2 game. But, I mean, things were kind of out of control at that point. Mejia and Henches pitch okay out of the bullpen. They both are solid. Mejia goes an inning and two-thirds. Henches goes an inning. Clean baseball, no hits, no walks. Uh, Two strikeouts for Mejia and one for Henches. So that's good to see. Everybody on the Indian staff was throwing strikes. But at that point, 
at that point, things were just out of control. The Royals were also running a ton on Tristan McKenzie and Austin Hedges. I mean, Hedges throws people out. He, he's not as good as, uh, as Roberto Perez at gunning people out, but Hedges still is pretty darn good back there. And they were running, it seemed like, at will. Mondesi had two steals, and Michael Taylor also had a steal off of that duo on the day. So that helped them out, too. I mean, keeping McKenzie a little uncomfortable on the mound when guys are just running free on him. And uh, obviously, uh, in the end, it's the home runs that do him in. So that's game one. Game two, uh, man, just a boring game. Just a brutal boring game. I, you know, I completely forgot yesterday when I was giving the Indians a hard time about starting these games at 410, I completely forgot that there'd be seven inning doubleheaders. I keep doing that. Um, they actually finished these games in a reasonable amount of time, but, uh, game two was just a bizarre one. I mean, Nick Wickren starts as the opener and that was a terrible decision. He only lasts two thirds of an inning, gives up a hit, two runs, both earned on three walks and no strikeouts. Um, No home runs, luckily, allowed in this one. Uh, Francisco Perez actually comes in, the rookie who we have not seen a lot of, the lefty, and goes two and a third innings, two hits, no runs given up, no walks, and two strikeouts. Maybe he should have been the opener. Yeah, everybody was giving DeMarlo Hale a hard time for starting Wickren in this one. There were so many other choices here. Uh, You could have gone with Garza. Garza only pitches a third of an inning in a game where you really need your bullpen to go for a while. Uh, Garza only pitches a third of an inning, so I don't know what was up with that, why they didn't let him go another inning. Uh, But the big storyline in this one. So anyways, Wickren, yeah. So he walks in a run. He walks Carlos Santana with the bases loaded to walk in a run. And then he gives up a sack fly deep to Fermil Reyes in right field. Uh, So that's how the Royals score their two runs early. Uh, Cleveland would answer back with some solo home runs, but uh, Kansas City would tack on a run in the fourth and a run in the sixth, uh, and they were just hitting some doubles on on the second game. Nicky Lopez, Salvador Perez, Alberto Mondesi, and Is Isbell all had doubles on the day, so they were just kind of hitting us around, putting together these little rallies, tacking on some insurance runs, and uh, the Indians could only answer with solo home runs. Now, the big storyline in this one, Anthony Ghost makes his return to Major League Baseball ever after not playing in Major League Baseball since, what was it, 2015 or 2016 with the Tigers in the outfield? He finally makes his return. We've been watching him in spring training for the last few years, and we finally got to see it on the mound at Progressive Field. He's pitched great at AAA. He pitched good in the Olympics. He pitched, I think it was like a five and a third innings of shutout baseball in the Olympics. In Triple uh, A, I know recently he's really come on strong since coming back from the Olympics. Uh, so yeah, so it's someone we've seen the velocity in spring training, right? We know he can hit triple digits. We've seen it. Um, and now we finally get to see it at Progressive Field. And he did not disappoint. He was absolutely lighting up the radar gun. Uh, at progressive field. Let me flip over to, I'm still stuck on game one. Let me flip over to game two here and uh, let's go to the player breakdown page and see his pitching. Come on. Here we go. Player breakdown page. And uh, it didn't, it wasn't all success 
for Anthony Ghost. I mean, he still, you know, had a battle out there. But um, his fastball, let's see here. The max was 100.8 miles per hour. The min was 97.8. He averaged 99.3 miles per hour on that fastball. He threw it 31 times and mixed in eight sliders. Uh, six whiffs on 21 swings on the fastball. They knew it was coming. Three called strikes. It's good for a 29% CSW. So he did get 11 foul balls. So they may have been ready for the fastball, but they weren't ready for the fastball. 11 foul balls, only four put in play. Um, and one of them was a bunt attempt, uh, that was popped up that almost was a scary play. Uh, it, it ends up dropping because the pitcher and Chang at third base almost collide. Uh, so that skews the average exit velocity off that pitch with that little bunt in there. Uh, so we can't really give hard data on that. But uh, Ghost does a good job, does get a strikeout. Who did he K in this one? I think he struck out uh, Salvador Perez on a high fastball and uh, blew one by him at 100 miles per hour, went for the high heat. And... Uh, Let's see if I can pull up that at bat. Let's see the sequence he used here. Come on. This is an Anthony Ghost love fest right here. Giving him all the credit in the world uh, for finally making it back to the majors here. Um, let's see. I got to reset some things on my options here. Come on. Oh, there it is. Salvador Perez. All right. Perfect. Oh, he threw him a ton of fastballs. This ended up being a nine pitch at bat. So he goes high fastball on the first two pitches. Gets him to swing at him. Both 99 mile per hour pitches. Then uh, comes down into the zone and he fouls off a fastball. Then he goes way high with a fastball that he lays off for a ball one. So now it's a one and two count. Throws them the slider down at the bottom of the zone. Good job by Perez of fouling that off. That must have been a tough pitch to foul off. Goes another forcing fastball in the middle of the zone that Salvador Perez fouls off. And frankly, that was the pitch. We talk about it all the time. In and at bat, there's one pitch. That was the pitch for Salvador Perez. A fastball right down the pipe at 97.9, and he fouls it off. Throws him another slider in the dirt that he lays off for a ball. Then comes inside with a fastball that he fouls off at 98.2, and then goes back up with a fastball at 98.7, and he swings through it. At that point, he was swinging at anything coming at him, and he swings through it for strike three. And Anthony Gosh's first major league strikeout. So that was the fun story of this one. Um, the other thing for the Indians on this day, obviously the two home runs come on solo home runs. And uh, one goes from Andres Jimenez, who I believe got a, uh, a change up. Let's go to the illustrator and let's take a look here at the home runs given up by the Kansas city Royals. And we'll click over to home run and we'll take a look at the pitch location on these. It was actually a slider. Andres Jimenez got a slider um, down and in. And we talked about those lefties taking a pitch down and in, taking those off-speed pitches down and in, and pulling them. And he absolutely hit a moonshot with this slider. He was ready for this slider. And uh, I'm sure Payapas probably wanted this pitch more down and buried at his knees, at his feet, out of the strike zone. Instead, he leaves it in the strike zone. And Andres Jimenez turns on it. I'm telling this guy, I saw the stats on Twitter in his last 10 games or whatever. You know, he's actually been hitting pretty well. It's a guy who do not give up on. Don't I know he struggled this season. I know he struggled really bad to begin this season. 
Sometimes it takes guys two or three tries at this major league level to finally click in. And as much as I love what Ahmed Rosario has done this season, and think that Ahmed Rosario could easily open the season as the starting shortstop again, um, Andres Jimenez opening the season at second base isn't out of the question, or starting the season at shortstop. There is a ton of young talent up the middle coming for the Cleveland Indians, and we have to be patient with it. We have to let it develop. The Kansas City Royals are living in it right now. Unfortunately, they don't seem to have the pitching to go with it. I mean, they've got Whit Merrifield and Mondesi and Nicky Lopez, and I heard an interview with them uh, a few days ago, and they're going to they're gonna stick with all those guys. They're going to find a way to make it work with all of these shortstops, basically. And the Indians have to do the same thing. We've drafted shortstops. We've traded for shortstops. Now we've got to figure out a way to get them all on the field. Um, so, yeah, so a home run for Andres Jimenez. And then I love this at-bat from Bobby Bradley in the uh, seventh inning. Because he swung so bad at a breaking ball at his back foot, basically. He was at least a couple feet ahead of this pitch. So clearly geared up for the fastball. Now, the obvious thing here, Barlow, the pitcher for the Royals, has two choices. I can throw him another breaking ball down at his feet and see if he'll chase it again, or if he can resist this time. Or I can try to beat him with a fastball. I can change speeds on him. Now that I'm in his head with the breaking ball, I'll go blow a fastball by him. That's what he decides to try. He throws him a, what was the speed on this pitch here? He tries to throw him, if it'll let me click on it, a 93-mile-per-hour fastball up and out over the plate, and Bobby Bradley was not late on it. I mean, you would understand if he was in his head, if he was thinking, here comes a breaking ball, here comes a breaking ball. Oh, no, it's a fastball, and follows it off or something like that. But nope. He got all of it, 109.9 mile-per-hour exit velocity into the big glove in center field. If you don't watch the games on TV, there's some ridiculous guy with an oversized glove that must have season tickets right in front of the bullpens there and uh, has caught many home runs with his ridiculously oversized glove. But Bobby Bradley not getting fooled. I can't tell you how much fun it is to watch Bobby Bradley at bats. I, I really... Really hope that they stick with him at first base. I I want to see him get more run at first base and more opportunity with this team. I don't want them to give up on Bobby Bradley. So a big solo home run there. Unfortunately, it's not enough. We bring uh, – no, I don't even think we brought the tying run to the plate. Uh, I think Chang would strike out after this to end the game. So it was actually a pretty rough game for you, Chang, on this the second game. I think he had – Three strikeouts. Yeah, 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. So uh, not many hits for the Indians. Only four hits uh, for the Indians on the day. So on the second part of the day. So good job by the Royals. Bullpen having themselves a bullpen game. Uh, Yeah, that's your storylines. So that's what's going on with the Cleveland Indians in this doubleheader. There's some other things we haven't talked about. Um, Terry Francona, they kind of announced that, like, again, if, he is healthy, is probably going to be the manager coming back in 2022. I, I, you know, Terry Francona, obviously, he would then become the winningest manager in Indians franchise history. Obviously, he has done some amazing things here. I'm all for him coming back because I do think he gets a lot out of his players. But I think that the hitting side of the coaching staff needs a major overhaul. And if a new voice coming in as manager could create that change. 
you know, would bring in his own hitting people. Obviously, we do not want to see the pitching side mess with. The pitching side has been fantastic developing these guys. I mean, look what they've done with McKenzie and Cal Quantrill this season alone to make them really good starters, some of the best starters in baseball in the second half of the season, right? That shows how good the pitching staff has been, um, the hitting side of things. It has to change. They just need a new approach at the plate. They need, uh, you know, they need someone who's going to work and develop these hitters because there's a lot of talent coming out of AAA, and they're just not ready for the major league level yet. And so, yeah, so I, I don't know if Terry Francona knows people, if he's got someone, if he could bring in some more uh, hitting coaching, if change things up there, or if, if Francona means we're sticking with the exact same coaching staff. And so, yeah, we will see what happens. And hopefully, obviously, number one, you want Terry Francona to feel healthy. Obviously, the health problems he's had really suck. Uh, so you want him to feel better. But we'll see. Right as of now, Terry Francona is still your manager heading into 2022. All right. So that's the storylines going on outside the field. Uh, we got two more against the Kansas City Royals. Man, we really should have used this series to try to get back over 500. Watch. We'll end up losing three or four to the Royals but then we'll end up winning four out of five against the White Sox because that's just how baseball works. All right, that's all my thoughts on this one. Again, thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning in this little bit of a strange setup. Uh, we will be back on the good mic eventually, and obviously once I'm back at my desk, we can get more into stats. It's a lot easier to have tabs open and pull things up and get some more details. So you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show, Mornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on all these games. And thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.